This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Welcome to another episode of Talking Fast, a Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Alexis. And we're two longtime fans of the show, excited to rewatch and recap it along the way. Today we are joined by Elena, one of the co-hosts of the Women of Questionable Morals podcast. Sadly, we're missing Soraya, but we will have both on in season three to cover an episode with us. Um, together, Soraya and Elena deep dive into topics relevant to Gilmore Girls, pulling out and critiquing the nuances of the show. They discuss everything from fat phobia to sex to race and politics, and they've just finished their first 10-episode season with a discussion about Rory and the infamous dropping out of Yale moment. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I was just starting to listen to the Rory episode because when we're recording, it just came out yesterday. So I was listening to it while I was making breakfast this morning. It's already juicy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We had so much fun doing that one for Mm -hmm. sure. How does it feel to have accomplished, you know, your first season of the podcast? I, I'm so happy. It's, I'm the kind of person that loves making plans and making projects, but I always take them seriously. And sometimes the person I'm planning with doesn't like, Mm -hmm. I'm the type of person, if I say, I want to do this with you, I really want to do it. I'm not just humoring you. And, you know, Sarai and I didn't really know each other before we started the podcast. We kind of had, yeah, I reached out to her because she was co-hosting book solid with her friend, India. And I was looking for other kind of diverse bookstagrammers to like do crossover episodes with my bookshelf remix podcast. And we did a crossover episode and we had so much fun. Mm -hmm. And then off air, we started being like, oh, you know about Gilmore Girls? And we're both like, (laughs) wait, you like Gilmore Girls? I'm like, no, 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 no. I love Gilmore <laughs> Girls. Like, I breathe Gilmore Girls. And we're both like, no one else in our lives care. <laughs> and so we we found ourselves serendipitously. And then we're like, you know what we should do? We should record all of these conversations mm. we have. And then we <laughs> did it. So, yeah. I, when you asked me, like, how do you feel? I was like, I feel it's, it's a beautiful <laughs> thing. Gilmore Girls brought about a friendship and something to look forward to even as our lives are busy, even though we do completely different types of jobs and things, uh, it gave us a reason to connect. And that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. That is beautiful. (laughs) It's kind of similar to our, I feel like I'm similar to you, Elena. I like, I love planning. And I feel like sometimes I plan way too much. But when Alexis actually agreed to do the podcast with me, at first, I was like, okay, is this actually like, is this going to be another case where somebody agrees to do something with me and then flakes out? <laughs> mm-hmm. But like, we've been a great, great team, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was interesting because it, it was such a spontaneous decision for both of us kind of just randomly texting, but then it was spontaneously serious. Like I feel within 
the first like, oh, should we do this? I feel like we started to plan before we even <laughs> ended that conversation. Like, okay, let's set mm-hmm. a meeting. Like, <laughs> um, and it is such like a, a joy to like finish a season. Um, I feel like the milestones are such a good uh, place to reflect on like, wow, we really, we really did that. Um, <laughs> it's great. It's great. Yeah, I definitely think one thing we did not really think about was how much people would engage with the podcast mm-hmm. because we had both hosted other podcasts and, you know, we we host them because we like doing it and we never had, you know, any illusions that we would get super big. But like just the fact that people apparently are seeking out Gilmore Girls content, period, meant that we appeared on the radar of a completely new audience and having people really in- interact with our Instagram stories and like write to us and write such nice reviews. It it really brought this sense of like how podcasting can be a community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, thankfully we're not too big, so we haven't gotten <laughs> the dark side of notoriety, uh, but we're just at the right size where people feel like they can comment on our posts and that just makes us happy. And the number of people who've written, who've DM'd us to be like, hey, I'm so glad we found your analysis because like no one wants to listen to me in real life. It's like, (laughs) this is why we did it. No one wanted to listen to us. (laughs) Yeah, and you guys have a really good niche. Like there's not really another kind of thematic podcast. I guess now there's um, that Gilmore to Say podcast that started in like, you know, already had TikTok, TikTok fame, but you guys are really like more critical and um I feel like you you really look at it with an analysis lens rather than just kind of talking about what happens which honestly is I guess what we do we just recap but so you guys have a really good niche (laughs) no I was listening to your season two recap episode and like you definitely do an analysis and you even like separate the fact of like you know sometimes we look at these people these characters as if they were real people and we judge mm-hmm. them based on that but sometimes we're also very aware of like what is the show doing and i think that's also something that soraya and i have to catch ourselves out we get like really enmeshed because mm-hmm. we've seen the show so much and we love it so much we're like why do they do this and then we have to take a step back and be like well it was the end of the season so they were ramping <laughs> it up yeah. for like <laughs> Yeah, true. Yeah, I like to have I like to have it both ways, at least. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, because that's how we engage with the show. And like, our decision to do themes was driven mainly by two things, which a this was like yet another side project. So we could not in good faith commit to doing episode by episode Mm, for seven seasons, (laughs) uh, which good for you. I mean, I love recap podcasts. I'm a fan of buffering the vampire Mm. slayer and like, Veronica Mars investigations and things like that. So I'm very grateful to the work y'all do, but uh, we couldn't do that just realistically. But also, Sarai and I like don't like to be feel constrained by spoilers. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So we're just like, you know what? We're doing this project for us. And in our ideal world, we want to be able to talk about everything that happens with Jess yeah. in all of <laughs> all of the series. So yeah, that's kind of what directed that and then there's you know the fact that we're two women of color I'm a disabled woman I'm also like trained as a philosopher so I cannot switch off that part of my brain that kind of <laughs> is set to analysis mm-hmm. mode and then 
I decided at least going in, like instead of apologizing for that and kind of making it more consensus and like light and let's all have fun with pop culture being like, you know what? I, I love Gilmore Girls. I do. This show is so important to me, but I also interact with it at all these other mm-hmm. levels. And I not to choose not to apologize for yeah. that mm-hmm. in the content I produce. Yeah. We've definitely run into some, some people who just want to like view it as with what is given to you like no real analysis or even questioning whether characters are like the main characters are doing good or bad things um in the grand scheme of things so it's very refreshing to hear other people who are willing to like love something and also kind of tear to pieces in a in a very loving way yeah like i wouldn't I don't know. I, I, I do it because I love the show, you know, mm-hmm. and critique mm-hmm. helps exactly. you understand it more and it makes it more meaningful. And I think we're quick to say what we love, but we're also quick to like call it out and be like, that was so shitty, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I agree completely. <laughs> and it's also the idea that, you know, I first watched the show when I was, you know, I don't know, like grade nine, grade 10. Um, and then I kept going back to it in part because of a nostalgia mm-hmm. feeling. But my interpretation of certain storylines or my relationship to different characters has changed as I have grown older, as I have experienced things like college mm-hmm. and being on the work at the in the workplace and stuff like that. Um, so I think it's interesting also to say, like, it's not a static critique mm-hmm. of this artifact like this artifact is being consumed now by younger generations as well and like parents are showing the show to their kids and even the same people who watched it like 10 years ago will have a different relationship to it now and so that makes the show something alive and therefore in my eyes worthy of critique it's not like mm-hmm a dinosaur that yeah it's stuck in the past <laughs> yeah I totally I watched it when I was younger and then when it went on Netflix and even now like since we do the recap which is quite a slow rewatch e- that process has caused me to have new feelings and opinions because it's totally different I never watched it when the episodes were airing week by week so I find it really rewarding to like have all of those different like phases of opinions rolled up into like recap. Okay, well, it was my job to open up with a segment at the beginning, uh, but I love this (laughs) organic conversation, but I will circle back. Uh, We like to start out our interviews uh, inspired by a segment we do on our podcast. So we usually do a talking fast segment where we both attempt to recap the episode Uh, in 30 seconds only and today for this interview we thought it would be fun to do a series of Gilmore Girls related rapid fire questions in 60 seconds Uh, are you game (laughs) I am I do have a procedural question okay (laughs) are you going to ask me the questions and I just give my answer or do I get to explain answers uh you will give a quick answer but if you want to circle back to any of them and offer explanation afterward, mm-hmm. you are entirely free to do so. <laughs> okay. Yeah, these questions are just like 
nuance list. <laughs> they have no nuance. I know. Whatsoever. I was just like, <laughs> I need to add caveats. <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> All right. Are you both ready? Mm-hmm. Affirmative. On your mark, get set, go. So pick a favorite, Rory, Lorelai, or Emily. Lorelai. Dean, Jess, or Logan. Jess. Max, Christopher, or Luke. Luke. And Suki, Lane, or Paris. Paris. Okay. Fall, winter, spring, or summer in Stars Hollow. Fall. And Luke's pancake breakfast or Suki's blueberry pancakes. Suki's. And who's your favorite Stars Hollow town member? Kirk. Who would you say has better literary taste, Rory or Jess? Jess. And do you like the Independence Inn or Dragonfly better? Dragonfly. Um, let's see. Who would you want cooking dinner, Luke or Suki? Suki. And who's the most intimidating, Emily or Mrs. Kim? Emily. And do you prefer the Chilton or Yale years? Chilton. <laughs> Original series or A Year in the Life? Such an easy uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know the answer. <laughs> oh, that was the time. Okay. <laughs> I should have skipped around because there were some. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> wow. Did you have you any that you lot. want to caveat? <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, when you ask me to pick between Rory, Lorelai, and Emily, it's mm-hmm. like really hard. I pick Lorelai because I feel like in a way she has more of an evolution mm-hmm. throughout the show, yeah. I feel. Um, she's infuriating. And I mean, it was hard because I identified with Rory so much growing mm-hmm. up. Um, but yeah, I feel like ultimately Lorelai is has more facets. Um, and when I say that, I think Jess has better literary taste. <laughs> I want to explain. Um, first of all, they're both obnoxious teenagers yeah. who think that like reading books is their personality. And I say this as a former obnoxious teenager who <laughs> Same. thought books were my personality. Um, so by saying better taste, <laughs> it's not in an absolute. But my rationale behind that is that I think that Rory is very much led by the idea of like what she's supposed to like mm-hmm. and what she's supposed to read to be a well-read person. And I was exactly the same. I used to think like if it wasn't a classic, I was wasting my time mm-hmm. on like pop culture garbage or whatever. <laughs> uh, so I totally... I was Rory, but I do think that Jess, even though he's also like maybe skewed in terms of like valuing certain authors over others, I think he is possibly more free in what he's willing to read and what he's willing to try and to also claim that he likes because he doesn't have the same kind of strict internal curriculum <laughs> that Rory has in her own head. Yeah, I kind of feel like Rory's reading off of like the um GRE literature <laughs> reading Absolutely. list or something whereas Jess especially once he gets into his when he's working at that little press and writing his book I don't I don't know what the book was really about but he seems like he would be more uh in tune with like the actual literary culture of the time mm. than Rory yeah necessarily and is. I feel like yeah that's it he would be really he would participate in the culture Whilst Rory, even in her aspirations of being a journalist, always positions herself as, like, as wanting 
to kind of be a lurker. <laughs> yeah. I'd be interested to know what Rory was reading in the years between, you know, the end of the original show and the revival because, yeah, I mean, she was still very much like the classics before she went to Chilton, but I can't imagine like the Chilton and the Yale worlds like invited her to like go beyond. I don't know. I just would like to think she flourished into like developing individual uh, readerly tastes, but I'm not I'm not sure if she did. I don't think we really gain that information from what I can recall of the revival. I remember seeing things online where people were like, why isn't Rory reading anymore? Like, mm-hmm. so I think there wasn't enough maybe context clues in the revival to show that what she was reading at that moment, like they make references to shows like Gilmore, uh, not Gilmore, <laughs> Game of Thrones mm. and things like that, but they don't reference any books. So I wonder if part of that is because I think we've talked about this in the past, but Amy Sherman Palladino seems to have just kind of stopped engaging with culture in maybe 2005 ish. <laughs> and I wonder if, Part of the reason there aren't more recent references in the revival is because honestly, she and she doesn't know any. And I know she's not the only writer, but um, that she doesn't, you know, have any ideas of what Rory would have been reading that was published in the last fifteen years or something. <laughs> That's interesting theory. Yeah, mm-hmm. kind of disappointing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so. Transitioning from the rapid fire questions, we wanted to start at the beginning and you already spoke a bit about the formation of your podcast, what you do, what drew you to starting it. So one of the other questions we uh, had was thinking about what your process is. We're both curious, coming from a recap podcast to a thematic one, what is your process like when you're picking a theme for an episode? Um, Yeah, I'm just curious. (laughs) So most of the themes were generated in one sitting where we kind of like, we're doing this, this is real, let's open a Google Doc and we're just like, write down, like we wrote down like 20 themes. And then after a while, you're like, some of them kind of can merge together and can come together. But yeah, we did a big brain dump um, at the beginning. And after that, we, we kind of decided to do them organically we're just like okay we feel really motivated to do um a Jess one and then we we used like a a number picker (laughs) to like pluck our themes um and sometimes you know we rearrange them in the background (laughs) but like (laughs) but most of the time it was an excuse like get us started Mm -hmm. and um yeah, I think it was it was that we just we had themes that we knew we wanted to cover. We didn't know exactly how. And this is something that is opposite to what I usually like to do. Like I usually like to construct my podcast seasons as like a musical album mm. and think about like the transitions. And in this one we're just like we are putting zero pressure on ourselves. We are literally <laughs> picking a theme from a hat and going. Like so, a playlist on yeah. shuffle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but they all do. I mean, they obviously have a common theme throughout. Mm-hmm. And I just have to say, I listened to your dress episode a couple weeks ago, and I appreciated it as a person who uh, argues for dress often, <laughs> despite his uh, bad actions in some t- some some periods so thank you for being a dress fan <laughs> no no problem I mean 
I'm I'm very clear that I'm a team Rory should go to therapy and not date anyone mm. for a while. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> but if we have to pick between her on-screen boyfriends, then it would definitely be Jess. And I do think, and I appreciate what you guys also talk about, how, you know, everyone is so unfair to Jess. Like, he's a 17-year-old neglected child, mm -hmm. and everyone is treating him like the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, yeah, and I guess there's a lot of stuff to discuss with class also and how Liz as a single mom is represented versus Lorelai as a single mom mm -hmm. and like how their children are compared to one another. Um, and I, I just think that Jess is an interesting character uh, because it kind of forces like the whole show, not just the Gilmore Girls, to, like show a darker underbelly mm -hmm. of this perfect idealized uh small town and i love his relationship with luke yeah and yeah so i will always be on jess's side i do think there's like some highly problematic stuff um but i also feel like for all the toxic relationships that happen on the show i have seen those in real life <laughs> so i feel like in a way it was as far as like teen dramas go like the difficult and sometimes harmful parts of the relationships that Rory has with her various boyfriends, including Jess, um, are feel true to life. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I feel like maybe have a place in pop culture. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah that makes a lot of sense. And it, it seems like there are, there are some shows that really like hook people in where to the point where people are like, team blah 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 whoever's in the show and I feel like part of the reason people do that is because there's such a relatability to some of the different circumstances and this is really one of those cases where everybody relates differently to all of the different love interests <laughs> and has seen like similar relationships in themselves or their friendships and stuff so it's part of the charm of the show I think it's reflective mm-hmm <laughs> It's very much like a personality quiz <laughs> watching yeah. like teen dramas. That's true. Um, like there's one for all of us out there. <laughs> I just wanted to add, I really like your comment about how the addition of Jess as a character, I don't know if they anticipated this, but it did make them really reckon with Stars Hollow and the class dynamics as well as just like the insular nature of the town and its underbelly, which uh, we try to point out um, in our analysis of it as well because it, it's so interesting how the nostalgia of the show is really tied to like Stars Hollow and I think the dream of like living there but it's so there's so much also problematic with Stars Hollow that I think we've really seen in the early seasons even if it's a little more hidden but the Jess dynamic really draws it out in a way. And I don't know if you've noticed this in your recap but for me, there's always a tension between Stars Hollow as a comforting place. That's one of the reasons we do rewatches is that it feels comforting and, you know, it's not necessarily aspirational, but it's kind of a fantasy of, you know, mother-daughter relationships, of all the neighbors liking each other. Mm -hmm. And like, even if they bicker, they love each other and stuff like that. And so I think that Jess is interesting because he's possibly like the darkest element 
like with him come the darker storylines um that would be permitted in this idealized world and so he, he's not by any means like the darkest thing on television <laughs> but, but but for this world this it kind of like as a viewer at least for me like makes me reflect like okay we keep going back to this place but is this place actually super idealistic probably not yeah we've noted um that the way that the town treats Jess is exclusionary and like very Jess is a white character but it's coded in a way of a a white town kind of reacting to an interloper Mm -hmm. uh whether that be like a racially different person or in Jess's case just a maybe a different class and also with a different background than the rest of the town and we can come back to the class questions because I definitely want to talk about that but since we're on the topic of Jess and the exclusionary nature of Stars Hollow I wanted to just kind of ask how how you see Stars Hollow as it is a predominantly white town Mm -hmm. in the in New England which is more diverse than other places in the U.S., um, although small towns probably are still less mm-hmm. diverse than the cities. But what do you think of that kind of dynamic within the show and how that impacts the show and the characters within it? Yeah, that was an interesting one because we knew we wanted to do an episode on race. But then I actually started researching um, and completely separately, my work made me read about um, Black liberal politics, like, history in Hartford, mm-hmm. in Connecticut. Oh, like, wow. And so um, I discovered things I didn't know, like how, uh, you know, Connecticut and, like, Greenwich, Connecticut was the Georgia of the North, and, like, how, like, the slave trade was so massive there. There were so many indentured slaves and, therefore, a pretty significant Black population that I don't think would just evaporate, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, you know, Stars Hollow is smaller than Hartford, but still, you could see, like, there could be at least a handful of people. You know, I know some small towns in Rhode Island and things. Like, it's 2% of the population. But when your population is, like, 1,500, (laughs) that's still, you know, a couple families. And it made me reflect on how in the show, all of the, like, Black and people of color are, um, come from elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So you have the Kims that have immigrated from Korea, and then you have Michelle, who they tried to pass off as French, was clearly Quebecois. <laughs> um, and, but this idea that, you know, your, own, your token Black character is not African-American. Mm-hmm. And I think we can't dissociate that from, like, the politics of the WB as well at the time. Like, the WB, I, and all my knowledge of the WB comes from Latoya Ferguson, so props to her. <laughs> um, but, like, used to be a Black network and then was taken over and they started whitewashing it. And so this idea of having your one black character not be Mm -hmm. from the US and not be Mm -hmm. African-American is telling. So this idea of like, yes, it's not the worst in terms of like racial, um, I guess, representation on TV if we're looking at that time period, but it is telling that you're saying they're not from here. They're not, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) 
<laughs> there and they're not represented in the history that we celebrate the fact that they're all obsessed mm -hmm. with the revolutionary war mm -hmm. is super problematic including the fact that so many black people fought in that war and none of them are represented in the reenactors um yeah so it's it was interesting and then also digging into it like for me as a half filipina like lane was a super important character for me growing up because she is not represented as the stereotypical kind of model minority super good at maths and science type person mm -hmm. um and she was represented as being creative and things but the more i think about it she also has a very kind of anti-korean mm -hmm. um mentality which you know people are have that but when it's not you don't have any nuance anywhere else in the show it's like kind of hard and we kind of have a cartoon of mrs kim yeah. as the strict immigrant mother and you know soraya pointed out to me like she's very similar to emily mm -hmm. in many cases but does mm -hmm. not have like the fandom love that emily has for various reasons including the fact that she doesn't have as much screen time but yeah so it's this idea of okay we have this but also you know i know that the kims were um based on asp's like real life friend uh. um who were korean uh, but the actresses both of them mrs kim and lane um are japanese american yeah that was always so strange to me <laughs> mm -hmm. again like i'm not saying you know they shouldn't have access to jobs in hollywood but mm -hmm. it's also hollywood playing fast and loose with like the relationship between white americans and japanese americans is complicated and then you're saying well we're not going to represent you as a japanese family you're going to be a korean family that's also like doesn't think about the real the imperialistic relationship between japan and korea yeah <laughs> and like it's it's super complicated and you're just like you're gonna hire these actresses which i have no issue with they're very good but like why don't you make the family japanese and yeah. for me that is like asp being like this is my life <laughs> and yeah, yeah. <laughs> i hadn't even thought of like the implications of them choosing whether it was for this reason or not but choosing to not have them as japanese american based off of yeah the relationship between japan and the u.s and like the japanese internment camps and everything uh -huh. i hadn't even thought of that um and i'm sure well, I'm not sure, but I have serious doubts that that was even on their mind as they decided to make them Korean-American. But it does, you know, it's still there. It's still a fact. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to echo what you were talking about with like Lane and her kind of like anti-Korean attitudes, which we saw in season one. And we were like a little trouble. Well, I mean, we were troubled by it. And I think we discussed a bit like um, it'd be it'd be one thing if they made a story of that, right? Like, it's part mm -hmm. of J Lane's journey. Like, she starts there. She was so resistant about going to see her family in Korea. And what if she had an experience or she turned around? She really, like, because, I don't know. And it just seems like that wasn't a story they were interested in pursuing. Uh, that I That's the part, I think, is really one of the issues of a few that mm -hmm. have come up just now um like they could have done something with it and they just had a disinterest in it it seems yeah i agree it's also like they do have a sort of storyline that is not perfect but about how lane 
chooses to keep certain of her like religious values Mm -hmm. by like not having sex before marriage and stuff like that but we don't see her like contend with maybe keeping some korean traditions like she names one of her kids with a korean name but that's like the extent of what we get about her like reflecting on her relationship to korean culture and korean american culture yeah she always seems pretty like apologetic of it like when they have that uh dinner i don't remember exactly which season it is but when the whole band goes to dinner Mm -hmm. at the kim's house and it's like a traditional dinner and it seems like brian's the only one who's really like embracing the culture and uh lane is kind of apologetic of everything um and that that kind of shows up throughout the entire season where she just apologizes for being korean in some way or another she doesn't even we've noted before that she also is only ever interested in white men other than henry who was our one like shining mm-hmm. uh yeah and they gave them like no screen time <laughs> yeah they like, didn't the even have phone a date. calls <laughs> <laughs> yeah but just yeah. like a, and i totally understand i'm not from an immigrant family so i don't have any like experience but i i know that there you know it's it's a different experience and a challenging challenging experience to be a second generation mm-hmm. um person and like kind of dealing with the two different cultures and how you reconcile both but i think you know as alexis was saying if they at least like acknowledge that that's a difficulty mm-hmm. or something that they're working with that would be different um but they don't <laughs> And as to the aspect of, like, what does it mean, like, for the show to have these characters, I always like to draw the parallel with Lisa Wilde's character and Paris, because they literally created Paris because they loved Lisa. So she auditioned to be Rory, and they're like, you're not a good... A different (laughs) show. I could not see that. (laughs) So they're like, you are not Rory, but we love you so much, we are going to write a character. So putting this in the context of like who are we willing to include in the Mm -hmm. show what kind of storylines we think are possible um what kind of character arcs we think are would be interesting i think we need to think about you know stars hollow is sort of based on asp's life and is based on um small new england towns and having visited small new england towns that is fairly accurate um in terms of like architecture and stuff but it's also an invention and so we have to ask ourselves like when we're inventing this ideal small town life why are we not including more diverse people mm-hmm. and that includes also you know disabled people and um yeah like lots of there are no Muslim people, as far as I know, yeah. it starts hollow. Uh, and so it's it's not saying, oh, if it's based on something you experience, you don't you don't have a right to like represent that. But it's thinking, okay, we have the opportunity to think of this place that doesn't exist really anywhere, even mm-hmm. if it's based on something real. Like why why do we think that having black characters will make the show less fun, mm-hmm. or why would we think that it would be less you know comforting? <laughs> Who are we trying to comfort? It's things like that. (laughs) Yeah, we've talked a bit about Stars Hollow as a utopia, as an imagined place that is supposed to be ideal and how telling it is that it's white and how 
the whiteness of it is connected to its vision of utopia and how it uh, like the writer like it shows the boundaries of their imagination at best I think and there's worse other things I could say probably but I do think it is a serious aspect of Sars Hollow as like a utopia. And two things that I know Soraya wanted me to mention was because we didn't have we didn't get to them on our episode about race was um a the um kind of Asia tour cosplay mm, that Lorelai yeah. throws oh, yeah. Rory mm. <laughs> always makes me so uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and the fact that like, oh, we hate sushi, so let's make like candy sushi. Oh and that was included in the official Gilmore Girls cookbook that we have. And we're just like, there's so much of this that, you know, but it's portrayed as this bonding moment. They've recently reconnected after their fight. Like, this is them doing something cutesy and kitsch together. Um, and I think that is one of the things where the show does wrong. It's just like, oh, they're just being cutesy. It's like, they're being cutesy racist. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. like, oh, they're fetishizing this. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and when you have like, when your best friend is Korean, like, why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. like, yeah. And the other thing was when Rory moves in with Paris and Doyle and Lorelai makes a crack about like, Oh, those people mm -hmm. and Rory's like, oh, they're the doo-wop group. And it's very much this idea of like you're living in a space with like black and brown people. And like Lorelai is completely appalled. Whilst like objectively, I think living with Paris would be the safest place <laughs> <Yeah>. to be. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and so it's very much this like 90s, early 2000s mentality of like the bad part of town. Yeah, I feel like that kind of leads us into also class issues because with that that apartment part of the it's very coded that they're black and brown people and also lower class people and that's even coming from Lorelai who throughout the whole series like makes a point of being I'm not rich as we just saw in the like graduation episode where she literally tells the people I don't have money <laughs> and um, that's clearly not the case mm -hmm. um so we kind of we wanted to ask what your views on class and the class like the kind of performance of class yeah. in the, the series are. Um, I mean, we have oh, clear like Emily and Richard, upper mm -hmm. class Huntsberger people, uh -huh. and then Lorelai, who is doing her best at being middle class and then their disdain for the lower class. <laughs> Yeah, so do you have three hours? <laughs> sure. I mean, I mean yes, one but also I don't want to like make you do that <laughs> on a Saturday morning. <laughs> I mean, one day Sarai and I will do a whole episode on this, but mm -hmm. definitely I think that the whole show is an example of how you can't reject privilege just by saying you reject privilege. Mm -hmm. um, so in many ways, Lorelai is slumming like she likes to be like I'm one of the people um but even you at one of your episodes pointed out like it's kind of unclear like what their financial status is yeah they like, eat out for every single meal I think that's <laughs> and that's where I think it's interesting to think about performance of class because it can class can be so invisible in the show when they want it to be and I think mm -hmm. Lorelai and Rory's um whole situation 
is really murky and they kind of allow that whereas like Emily and Richard we always know very mm -hmm. distinctly what you know their classes but sorry continue <laughs> no well that's it and so it's it's mixed into multiple things it's mixed into like Lorelai actively rejecting like her upbringing and so she signals that so I think even like eating a fast food is a performance of like I'm not like my parents we do not sit at the dinner table we like have food that is considered like peasant food and stuff <laughs> um but yes they, I mean she owns her house mm -hmm. um yeah How? she they eat out all the time um yeah so but it's also this idea that everything that happens in the show happens because they have that safety net of going back to Emily and Richard. And mm -hmm. so this idea, like, Lorelai has not given up the class aspirations of her daughter going to an Ivy League, mm -hmm. for example. So you're just like, okay, you know you can't pay for it. Um, uh, but when pretty early on when Rory's in high school, like you realize, okay, there is the pathway to Harvard and the pathway is through my parents' money. And mm -hmm. she's not happy about it, but it's still there. Whilst like, if we compare it to Liz and Jess, it's Liz doesn't there. have that option. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, her father is dead. Her father owned a hardware store. Like there is not that. Like Liz did whatever decisions she did in her life, but she doesn't have an option. Lorelai like is portrayed as like she worked hard and she achieved like the American dream, um, but also like she has always has this option. And the same thing with like funding the dragonfly. Like yes, sure, she's a successful business owner, and I'm not taking anything away from her business savvy and her capacity, but you know. She had her mom co-sign a loan on her house. She had all of these things happen. And so, yes, Lorelai likes to think that she's like bootstraps, <laughs> like independent person. But really, A, she relies so much on like Luke and Suki and people in the town. And she relies financially on her parents. And what troubles me is she never seems to acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. She's just like but I fought for it. I did it. And you're just like, you did, you did work hard, but you always had that option. And the waiter like, well, Rory turned out so well and Rory is so polite and stuff. Like Rory always had a roof over her head. Like Jess probably did not. Mm -hmm. Like all of these things of like, you know, Jess skipping school to work at Walmart. I've heard commentary of you are like, no one would do that. I'm like, <laughs> poor kids would do that. Mm -hmm. When you cannot count on your guardian to pay for food and rent, you become fixated on getting that money. And even though you don't see like how this will impact your future, you're just like, I need, I'm responsible. I need to take care of my mom who is in a bad abusive relationship one after the other like this is how you think but then we look down on Jess being like oh he's throwing away his intelligence by like not going to school and he's not a good student like Rory who gets straight A's and like all the teachers love and stuff like that and you're just like yeah well Lorelai had the position to be able to offer that and raise her daughter that way and so yeah so in my in the end Lorelai wants to reject the class system but also doesn't acknowledge everything she's um has internalized in terms of a value system in terms of like 
what is a good college for her kid to go to? What mm -hmm. does her child deserve in life in terms of a job? What does her child deserve in terms of a partner? Um, she has very much the same desires that Richard and Emily had mm -hmm. for Lorelai, mm -hmm. but she just like projected them onto Rory. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, what's the title of your episode that Gener generational, generational <laughs> trauma <laughs> yeah very much awesome <laughs> so much of that i think is i think yeah i just i'm really i really vibe with everything you said <laughs> uh. look bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I wonder what you think about um, the Rory of it all. Uh, we're still in the first two seasons, so we haven't mm -hmm. really gotten to later. But it's quite common in the fandom, I think, to discuss the inevitable storyline of Rory and like her entitlement is a trait that a lot of people have kind of turned on her for i think i mean rightfully so in many ways but mm -hmm. rory's like embracing of the emily and the richard world uh embracing everything lorelei projected for her maybe uh how it relates to her characterization um do you have any thoughts on rory in class yeah i definitely think that rory's being groomed to be a white man no. Um, and that is real, kind of related to the type of feminism that the show mm. is also pushing. This idea of like, yes, she can achieve all the trappings of prestige. Um, and, you know, the Gilmore Girls are examples of women who get to basically do what they want and have no consequences. And part of that is fantasy fulfillment. You know, it's part of the fact that it's a fictional show. But I think that if we look at it from like a feminist analysis, we see that this is pushing a certain kind of feminism. And I mm -hmm. think Rory kind of shows what happens when you are unreflective through that path. Mm -hmm. So in our latest episode, we talk about, you know, the fact that Rory's on a pedestal and she kind of has like golden child syndrome and this idea that what happens if you are never told a that you've done anything wrong or b that it could be possible for you to do anything mm -hmm. wrong and we see rory kind of try and say no i want i was in the car with jess it's not only his fault like no i'm the one who wanted to steal the yacht logan didn't convince me to do anything and mm -hmm. at every turn like her agency is being rebuked or she's mm -hmm. being gaslit into being like you couldn't possibly want <laughs> right. anything that does any harm to anyone mm -hmm. and so 
it's this idea that I think, and I think this is where the line between like the fictional character and taking her at face value as a person gets blurred mm -hmm. because, you know, in real life, would she really go through college and not have to reflect at all yeah. <laughs> on anything? She gets like one bad grade and then like accost the teacher about it <laughs> yeah so i i feel like in real life especially like between college like the end of season seven and the revival like as a person rory gilmore would have had to think about <laughs> certain things but mm -hmm. as a character like she's so unreflective and so i think that's where the downfall is because I can't really blame someone for like enjoying having a rich boyfriend mm -hmm. and like enjoying being taken to nice restaurants or flown to like nice like vacation places. Like I can't really blame a 19, 20, 21 year old to like want to be a part of that. Um, I can be critical about the fact that she seems to be okay with the like extensive misogyny going on in Logan's circle mm -hmm. <laughs> and like not care because it doesn't affect her and things like that like see like how Logan and his friends are like actively harming people um, and not reflect on that that I can judge but you know the fact that you know one would be tempted uh I that's yeah I think that's normal <laughs> yeah <laughs> I also I think there's a connection between what you've just been saying about like the the feminism of the show and also the class that we've been talking about and also something we constantly bring up with their eating habits and it's all under the conspicuous consumption kind of vein where um, Rory and Lorelai are able to have access to basically everything and consume everything Um and it never affects them, whether that's like an external thing, like um, the, or not external, but like their their choices, <laughs> like the stealing a yacht and everything that doesn't really affect Rory very much, except with the choices she makes afterwards. I mean, 300 hours of community service is pretty minimal. <laughs> I, I got close to that much when I was 16 and stole eyeshadow from the grocery store so <laughs> um but we also often talk about like um Emily and her as Alexis pulls her Edith Wharton uh comparisons mm -hmm. the conspicuous consumption and how that all relates to kind of their persona um that was a very a very uh kind of pulling many threads together kind mm -hmm. of question that didn't end in a question. Yeah. I mean, I, I was curious when I saw that in the notes, do you mean like they are like Edith Wharton, the person or like mm. the people that she portrays in her books? I, um, I was thinking about it. Like they're similar to the people she portrays in her mm. books. Uh, just thinking like the, they're like novels very fascinated with like the society of the elite class you know and mm -hmm. I feel like whenever we're with Emily and Richard it's very much like a fascination and study of like the gender roles that come with that world Emily's like involvement in charity is very much a signaling of her class um her taste that is so clearly 
refined, quote unquote, uh, how it compares to Lorelai's taste. Like, I think it's so interesting how Lorelai like makes um, her like middle class um, through a lot of the same rules that Emily does. Like Lorelai has very clearly defined tastes as well. But it's to signal something different and in opposition. Um, so I yeah, I just read a lot of Wharton. So I find that the show also has an interest in depicting and uh, just like understanding different worlds as it relates to class. Though, of course, they're not entirely separate. But yeah. Yeah, that's un- that's interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. I love House of Mirth. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite books. And I think it... it- be interesting to see Lorelai Gilmore as the flip side of uh, Lily Bart in terms of like Lily Bart tries to maintain herself at a certain level of society, even though like she has a gambling problem, even though like she's losing money and she can't afford to keep up with the Joneses basically. Mm-hmm. And eventually ends tragically spoiler. Whoops. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but Lorelai is kind of like, trying to do the opposite of like keeping up with the down to earth people <laughs> like doing that but it's never entirely successful because mm-hmm. whenever she wants something she goes and like pulls from the bag of money <laughs> that her parents have or the connections or all of these things and so she's in this place where she gets to confront her parents about things she judges to be too much like when they want to name a building in Yale after Rory or something <laughs> she's like that's clearly ridiculous but when it's just like my kid should go to private school so that she can go to an Ivy League well that's not ridiculous like um yeah it's she gets to pick and choose her battles and uh yeah I think that's a sign of her kind of not being able to shake those connections to wealth and privilege yeah they both live in like very curated personas um and as you're saying both of them go back to money and access to money even though Lorelai's curated persona is that she doesn't have very much money but if you look at their lifestyle um it is it is just like the other side of the coin of Emily's um they both have excess of many things and want for nothing. And it's interesting. No, I was like, in your recap of season two, you were talking about how if someone were to do like Lorelai's um, therapy profile, mm-hmm. we would have mm-hmm. to deal with the fact that she went straight from being a kid to being a mom. And I hadn't thought of it that way but so much of the show is constructed with like Lorelai is justified because she does things for Rory. Mm-hmm. So she goes to her parents to get money for Chilton, for Yale. Like, even though she eventually gets it for the inn, like, Rory's the one who brokers that. Mm-hmm. So it, it would not be seen as acceptable if Lorelai did it for herself. But because she is a mom and she's Rory's mom, like, everything is okay. She can compromise. Her values she can compromise all these things because it's more important to be a quote-unquote good mom and what does a good mom do she makes sure her kids get into the best university she makes sure like all of these things and um there's so many things that the show codes as okay when Lorelai does it for Rory mm-hmm. but then in, with other women codes it as negative like 
Sherry wanting to have a career or Sherry not being ha- satisfied, like just being a mom or um, Anna, like not being automatically okay with like Luke seeing her daughter after not mm-hmm. being in her life for 12 years. All of these things you're like, Lorelai has very strict rules vis-a-vis Christopher and Rory, mm-hmm. but that's okay because we're, she's doing it for Rory and it's okay. But like they, there's a, distinct double standard that the show is trying to say about like be a strong independent woman but also your acumen as a businesswoman is only valued because you did it to feed your child like it's mm-hmm. this kind of like weird warp thing where you're just like we can value your ambition because you did it in the name of motherhood mm-hmm. whilst like we're gonna make fun of other women who like value their work <laughs> for the same reason yeah <laughs> Yeah, the feminism is so tenuous because it only does apply to Rory and Lorelai. Like, we've talked often about how Rory is the not-like-other-girls kind of trope, and they constantly give all the other women except, uh, like, the the good friends, like Lane and Paris and um, Suki, every other woman is either is some sort of stereotype of a woman, like a vapid um, kind of a ditzy girl or somebody who's just like a career driven person with no heart <laughs> um mm-hmm. and they they don't give any nuance to any women other than those those main ones and mm-hmm. of course Lorelai and Rory make fun of all of them mm-hmm. for yeah that. they actively <laughs> put them down mm-hmm. um yeah and yeah justice for Shane and Lindsay yeah <laughs> yeah I it says so much to me uh, watching, like, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, <laughs> like, I don't feel, like, totally an expert in Amy Sherman Palladino, but I I just think someday we could do, like, if we'd seen every show, um, we could maybe make more de- declarative statements. Um, at least I could, but uh, just watching Maisel is, like, it really puts it's like a key for me to Gilmore Girls a little bit and she really loves her like fast talking brunettes and like a a very particular white feminism like you're saying that has a lot of conservative qualities to it I'm just gonna Mm. be honest and it's telling them that she went to a show in like I think it's the 50s or 60s like yeah that's where her politics can be considered quote-unquote radical Yeah, that's true. So we're coming up on an hour. Was there any other topic that you really want to get to? There are so many, so many things that so we fast. like didn't I get know. to that I wanted to bring up. But um, was Did there anything you, you want to like, talk really about? Fat phobia or? Oh, sure. I'm always. I mean, to talk about it's, that. It's a and also I think there was a question of like what was our favorite episode to record. I can, mm-hmm. obviously can't speak for Soraya, but and. It's a complicated question, but Mm -hmm. if I would just think right now, I would say the Christopher one Mm -hmm. because we had not planned that. Oh, that was not part of our original list. And Soraya was just kind of like, why don't we do this? I feel like I just did a rewatch and I'm very angry. Let's talk about Christopher. (laughs) That's a great, a great premise for an episode. (laughs) Yeah. And so we're just, it was kind of like allowing ourselves that organic um, way of constructing we're just like hey this is on my mind let's just get on zoom and do it right now <laughs> yeah that's great and there's so much to say about Christopher too he's such a 
questionable character who just pops up again and again to uh-huh. turn things on <laughs> over. Uh, we, I mean, we just finished season two, which of course ends with Christopher leave first hooking up with Lorelai, and then they decide they're going to try it out, and then mm-hmm. he leaves uh, to be with Sherry and their baby. So, yeah, and that's that's also something talking about like the kind of conservative themes of the show is that even though it's about a single mom and her kid the show is not very imaginative when it thinks about family structure Mm -hmm. like there was no discussion that chris could support sherry in her pregnancy whilst being with lorelei like yeah (laughs) i feel like in the 2000s this was not a new concept yeah (laughs) Yeah, seriously. <laughs> or be with neither of them and just mm-hmm. be a good dad to both of his children, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, <Just> <laughs> this, the sex politics of the show, I think when you put it under just even like the smallest of microscopes, they really fall flat uh, because I think at face value, you think, oh, it's amazing Lorelai is a mom, but they let her have this cool dating life and Rory has all her boyfriends. But then it's like, consistently the theme is if you have sex something bad is gonna happen (laughs) and there's a lot of examples we could pull from but also just the whole use of the um Rory being pregnant as the revival cliffhanger I think is just such uh the just not great writing in my opinion and I don't know that would be a whole nother podcast episode probably talking about that but I yeah I just agree that it's not necessarily imaginative about things like mm-hmm. sex or family structure etc. And I just have a question because this is something we talk about in our Rory dropping out of Yale episode. And I asked Soraya, so I'm going to ask both of you: Do you think Lorelai would have reacted differently if Rory said she wanted to drop out because she was pregnant? Oh, I think yes. I yeah I I think yes as well. I think it would have been an extremely negative reaction similar to in the pilot episode when Lorelai thinks that Rory's about to give up the chance to go to Yale because she met Dean and Lorelai mm. goes on that kind of rant about like well if you if you're going to ruin your life for him he better drive a motorcycle that kind of thing. Mm. I I mean I all I don't know because Laura like could she could also be supportive of, of it, but I think it would just be like so. Like it it would never have crossed her mind that this would be a possibility that her daughter would not fulfill this path. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think she would have had a very negative reaction, even if she came around to it later later on. I I just envisioned a big blow up. I think. Mm. What do you say, Alexis? I I haven't really thought about it before. It's an interesting question. I I I wonder if Lorelai would I I think she would see the parallels of like Lorelai dropping out of high school to have Rory and so Rory dropping out of Yale. I but I don't know if that would be a negative or positive reaction, but the the way that I think that ending was meant for Rory 
anyway. Like that's why Amy Sherman Palladino ended the revival that way. I think because she wanted to do the ending she didn't get to do. But I think she still would have done it like right after Yale and it would have been like she had just graduated and now it's going to affect her promising future. Um, But it seems like they're really into this like circular like Rory becomes Lorelai kind of storytelling. So I almost wonder if they like have Lorelai be completely accepting and like come to stars mm-hmm. hollow reset everything let's start from the very beginning nothing has changed i mm-hmm. i don't know but it's really it's a good question what did you both discuss on that i mean soraya was of the opinion that at first like lorelei would not be happy about it but then she would go into like problem solving mode and since that in the world of the show, terminating a pregnancy is not an option, mm-hmm. apparently. Um, so they would kind of accept that she would keep the child. Uh, and I mean, Lorelai has a track record of going back to adult education after, you know, her kid has grown up. Yeah, so true. maybe there would be like, maybe she would offer to take care of the kid and like let Rory go back. Or like, I my point of view is... I think Lorelai would have not loved it, but she would have reacted very differently compared to like Rory is telling her I'm having a mental health crisis, basically. Mm-hmm. And Lorelai is like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think that she was like, I'm pregnant. Lorelai would be like, okay, let's deal with this. And I just think of it in the show having a hierarchy Mm. of like what is valuable and what is like worthwhile and this idea that you know Rory's not allowed to feel insecure and not allowed to question whether she wants to stay in university or stay in her major um because I don't know I don't like how it's framed as being superfluous and Rory like overreacting but Mm. I feel like if it were like mom I'm pregnant then I think the show would be like okay, I guess this is inevitable. Therefore, Mm -hmm. we must deal with it. And it would tend to that circularity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. That would would be so, so interesting. That's like one of our, that actually leads us maybe into our fun wrap-up questions because we like Mm -hmm. to talk about alternate universe theories. So that's a good one. Like what would have happened um, if that conversation was about Rory being pregnant instead? Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have any other alternate universe theories? Or we also like to talk about crossovers with other shows. I know that Soraya recently had a great one. I'm bummed she's not here to tell us about it herself. But um, did you have any any thoughts like that? Yeah. Yeah. Soraya had this (laughs) crossover that I had never thought of. And I've seen Twilight, but years ago. So I didn't even put the two and two together. But apparently the actor who plays Alex, who is a love interest of... Lorelai yeah the outdoorsy um, one yeah the outdoorsy one is Charlie Swan so Mm -hmm. Bella Swan's father in Twilight (laughs) and there are some parallels that Soraya pieced together between like why Alex like says he leaves a show in Gilmore Girls and like the fact that he's divorced and he has two kids and then one of his kids dies and then his daughter was like raised with his her mom and then she came to live with him and which is kind of like what happens to Bella Swan where she like mm-hmm. lives with her mom and then moves to Forks to be with her dad who is outdoorsy and likes to fish and likes to do all these things I love it. <laughs> I and really love yeah it. so that would be perfect it's also like it's interesting that Twilight Twilight the movies are one of my weirdest 
guilty pleasures, you could say. Oh, yeah. I, I love to, like, hate watch them. <laughs> but <laughs> And it takes place in, like, a small town also, Forks. Of course, it's a different vibe. Um, and Bella is more like a an outsider in there. Um, but yeah, I love that. I love that theory. And it also conveniently puts Gilmore Girls in the same world as vampires yep. and werewolves, which is very helpful for us and all of our ideas about <laughs> what the different townspeople are supernaturally. Mm-hmm. Did you have, we also have, I well, yeah, we have an alternate universe theory where uh, Jess ends up either at Yale or Rory and Paris go to a different school and they're all in college together and they're all roommates and they all talk about books all the time. Um, that's one of my favorite like recurring uh, alternate universe theories that I just wish could come true. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It would be interesting if like Rory and Jess were either dating or close friends and both went to Yale. And so I feel like Jess would help Rory... Um, meet other people and like mm-hmm. maybe meet thing like people who are like students who are in like into activism or mm-hmm. into like you know performance art and like weird stuff that is really outside of Rory's comfort zone because one of the things that bothers me about Rory as a character is we're always told that she's super interested in like world events and things but then doesn't actually seem to care about mm-hmm. anything and it's kind of again this performance of like i think a smart girl likes these things a smart girl listens to npr and like things like that and i feel like yeah rory maintains a very sheltered existence even within college which i'm sure does happen to some people but yeah i think if jess would have been there um she may not have fallen in with logan so soon okay and Soraya had this question do you think Jess and Paris would be a good pairing romantically I know people are into that and I support it (laughs) I am more drawn to them as a friendship pairing I think that would just be really lovely to see and just like you were saying like Jess could bring out more of Rory in college potentially even from the small interaction we saw of Jess and Paris together like Jess was telling her how to eat like french fries it was just so sweet and they're also talking about books at the time and I just think that friendship has so much potential there but that's not to say like that the romance isn't another thing of course and I like I don't know but yeah I'm more friendship camp I think mm-hmm. yeah I think I, I would agree I I don't know I And personally, not like I don't think every relationship needs to be romantic. I'm asexual myself, so that's not really a thing for me. So I always like when there's great, like really strong friendships. And I I could tech, I could see how they could at least maybe try. I think it would be a very tumultuous relationship. Both of them would end up hating each other (laughs) often. But I think as friends, they could really get along and yeah bring a lot out in each other yeah I don't see them together romantically at all but I do agree I wish we had more screen time between Paris and Jess Mm -hmm. 
in general. I would love, love like a storyline where they tried to like start a business together oh and like gosh. fight over how to run this business, and it yeah. would be so fun. But I do think that Paris and Doyle are unmatched. Yeah. <laughs> like Paris and Doyle are perfect for each other, and yeah. But yeah, I I do wish we had seen Jess more there, and I feel like maybe we could have had more class discussion as well if like Jess had gone on a scholarship to Yale what yeah. that would have looked like um and things like that and oh there was something else it was maybe it was about Paris oh yeah yeah Soraya also pointed I'm I'm sorry I'm speaking for Soraya but she has yeah. so many good ideas um Soraya pointed out that Paris also comes from like a lot of wealth mm-hmm. you know um and yeah sure she loses money at some point but Yale is already paid for so she doesn't have to worry too much but she has so much more hustle in her than Rory Mm. and so Paris is an example of like yes she has incredible like privilege in terms of access and wealth but she also is really proactive whilst Mm -hmm. I feel like Rory is very reactive to everything and that's a huge huge difference so Mm -hmm. that's two examples of like Maybe because Paris is like not ashamed or not torn between this aspect that she has wealth, like she just she goes for it. She's just mm-hmm. like, I I can do things and be rude to people and not have the consequences. <laughs> so let me do it. While it's like Rory's like, but I'm supposed to be the angel child, and you're just like, okay, well, you're limiting yourself by like maybe like not leaning into the privilege you have in a way. Yeah. And I feel like the show alludes to Paris's um, upbringing and sometimes they kind of make a joke of it. But we've talked before about like she has a very tragic like family life and like really I think that could be another reason in the personality difference and the hustle because she is so alone all the time. And we talk about some of her um, like I can't think of an example now, but like the 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 Bracebridge dinner Paris like comes over and is like you need to do this work for the newspaper and Lorelai's like wow she's so like intense why would she ask you to work but I'm like she's there because she wants to hang out like she wants to be Rory's friend and she has to like have something to cover it up but like she's so alone all the time her like the one time we see her mom she's so mean to Paris and like Mm -hmm. beauty standards or whatever and um, I just think that could be another reason and I just really love her character. <laughs> and that would be another um, thing that she would have in common with Jess. Yeah. So that would be an interesting commentary for the show to be like, clearly these people are not in the same social class, but they've both experienced like parental neglect and what how that affects their personality and their drive. Mm-hmm. And it's just that Paris has more opportunities than Jess to do yeah. certain things. But Jess also like turns out well and does well for himself. Yeah. So it's not like a destiny type thing but I also like the fact that from what we can see Paris treats her nanny really well Mm -hmm. like she speaks Portuguese with her like she calls her to say I'm not going to be home like Mm -hmm. she knows all of her kids and stuff so also like in relating to like a servant class um, Paris shows like a tremendous amount of grace that she doesn't normally show in the rest of her personality. Whereas, you know, Lorelai is very much like Emily in treating staff and employees 
um, even though she doesn't like to think about it. But so, yeah, this is, again, like Paris doesn't reject her class and therefore <laughs> maybe finds it within herself to treat people like human beings. And whilst Lorelai is like, no, um, I, I don't have maids and stuff, but when I do have them, like I will treat them mm-hmm. terribly. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point about Paris also like speaking Portuguese with her nanny. I just saw something recently. I don't remember where it was that there's that one scene where when um, Rory is living with Richard and Emily and elect- and she goes and talks to one of the uh, cooks or maids mm-hmm. in the kitchen and she tries to speak Spanish and Alexis Bledel actually speaks Spanish fluently so they like made her pretend to not know Spanish and then mm-hmm. Emily of course comes in and does this whole like you don't talk to the help kind of thing mm-hmm. and that's such a huge distinction between how Rory is like raised to see um, uh, like maids and the cooks and everybody from Emily's point of view versus how Paris mm-hmm. was. I mean, she was probably just raised by her nanny in general. Exactly. So. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they make that part of Emily's storyline in the revival. <gasps> yeah, that was two uh, interesting <sighs> effects. <laughs> when we yeah. get to the revival, that's going to be something. <laughs> yeah, we discussed uh, that in our race episode. Also, mm-hmm. like, because they reuse Rose Abdu. Yeah. As, like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And the whole, like, what language is she speaking, running bit thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, to end on that note. (laughs) (laughs) I think we should ask you in our final question Mm -hmm. about your other podcast. And also, I'm just curious about what you are reading at the moment, what you're Mm -hmm. enjoying and would recommend to people um, as a closing question. (laughs) Uh, okay well i'm reading 15 books at the moment. Oh, wow. <laughs> no wow. um so sarai and i as i mentioned like both met via like book podcasts mm-hmm. and saraya hosts booked solid and they read like a lot of different different genres basically you know an excuse to talk about books mm-hmm. with other people um Bookshelf Remix, I started with my friend Sophia, uh, Sophia because we were like, we had finished grad school and we wanted to give a, an excuse to like read more fiction now that we had more time. Mm-hmm. And we just, again, like love analyzing things. And so we started doing that, looking at underrepresented authors. Sorry, I got a job. And so I kept going with guest people. But now my friend Eva will... Um, be joining me for season three and yeah it's it's been really interesting like with Sophia she's Mexican-American so we talked a lot about like race and decolonial studies she's an she worked on Edith Wharton a lot too <laughs> so <laughs> she would be cool to check out um mm-hmm. but with Eva like we're both disabled and we bring kind of that lens to uh what we're reading and it's just an excuse to like look for books some of them are are famous by famous authors and some of them are kind of like more obscure but it was it's been a really cool journey to look at that so if you enjoy kind of the analysis that i do on women of questionable morals but related to books um 
yeah, check out Bookshelf Remix. I also do a philosophy podcast if you want to、oh, wow. follow that, where I interview underrepresented philosophers called Philosophy Casting Call.、Um, so yeah, so if you want to, there are lots of themes from、mm-hmm. environmentalism to,、um, you know, gatekeeping in academia to like、uh, a Buddhist. Like theory of AI and stuff. Like so, there's like something for everyone, and yeah. So those are the things I'm doing. What am I reading? So right now I am reading "Places I've Taken My Body"、hmm. by Molly、okay. McCully Brown, who's a disabled poet and author、um, from the U.S. And it's just it's hitting me in all the soft spots. It's <laughs> so good.、Uh, I'm also I've just started. Tender is the flesh, by Agustina Basterica, which is a translated novel from Argentina. It's like horror dystopia where、yeah. cannibalism is legal. I think、um, I recently saw a book review about that.、I'm、definitely、yeah. gonna have to add that to my list. <laughs>、mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. Otherwise, I'm I'm reading、um, a bunch of other things, including like Naomi Klein's Shock Doctrine for work and. Colonial pathologies, and I'm also researching zombies at the moment because、mm-hmm. I work with、um, uh, disability and long COVID, and I'm looking at the figure of the zombie and like the history of eugenics in the、wow. UK and stuff. So yeah, so we could have a whole other discussion. Oh yeah,、that. yeah, we definitely <laughs> need to because we're we're also we're both in doing PhDs in English at the moment. So、oh、my God, I、yes. feel like. We all could have、uh, mel- multiple different kinds of conversations. So, oh、uh, my god, yes, please, <laughs> it needs to happen. <laughs>、mm-hmm. But yeah, so like succinctly for Soraya's podcast is booked solid, and mine is bookshelf remix. Or if you want the philosophy one, it's philosophy casting call.、Cool. Amazing, awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. Obviously, we have、mm-hmm. a lot more to talk about, and.、Uh, We'll have you and Saraya on many other times, I'm sure, in the future.、Um, yeah. yeah, thanks for joining us. This was so yeah, fun. Thank you, thank so, you much. so much. <laughs>